Welcome to The Audio Advocate. I am Madeline Pello-White, the Virginia Conference Director of Communications. This new monthly podcast will be sharing news with you from the Virginia Conference of the United Methodist Church and from around the global denomination. For those familiar with the Virginia Conference, the name Advocate has a long-standing history. The Virginia Advocate magazine was a print and then a print and digital publication that ran for almost 200 years. I had the pleasure of being an editor of the magazine before it was discontinued in 2019. For a long time, the publication was the main way that news was shared around the conference and was the main arm of the communications office. Since then, the name Advocate has been attached to other communication avenues, including our e-Advocate newsletter. This is the official conference digital newsletter that comes out every Tuesday. Our hope with this podcast is to share some news with you that you can find through our newsletter and conference website, but to also go deeper on some of our news and feature stories. Every episode, you can expect a featured story in which we will go more in depth on a topic and invite some guests. We will then go through headlines in the conference and denomination and end with our one last word section. Today, our featured segment is about district alignment. Take a listen to my interview with Reverend Ashley Eisenhagen and Reverend Kiang Suk Cho, who are members of the Implementation District Alignment Team, otherwise known as IDAT. I am joined for our interview about district alignment with two clergy in our conference who are part of the Implementation District Alignment Team, or IDAD. It's the Reverend Ashley Eisenhagen and the Reverend Kyung Suk Cho. So I thank you both for joining me for this important conversation. Thank you for inviting us. We're gonna start with you, Ashley, and we're gonna start with the question of why district alignment? For me, The question about why district alignment um, is so important because we are a connectional system and many of us are working within a new structure and a different structure throughout this time of COVID. And I think we've become more aware in, um, in more tangible ways how our structure has benefited us and how it has kind of held us back a little bit for our potential for ministry. And I think in this season, we're trying to learn from all of the information we've been given through pandemic, through the visioning process, um, through our shared ministry together. This team has a lot of different um, ministry perspectives represented to craft a system that will enhance um, and nourish all of us throughout this process so that we can enjoy our connection. Kyung-suk, what do you have to say about district alignment? Um, I would pretty much like echo what Ashley said as well. Um, so it bring, that question brings me back to some multiple quest- conversations that I had with my friends in ministry. Um, being in ministry for more than a, a few years by now, um, there was one thing that I have been told over and over again. Um, I heard it from the conference, from the speakers of hundreds of different leadership of workshops and from congregations and most of the clergy friends of mine as well, um, they all say we need a change. We, we need to do things differently. 
another part of the connection with church as Ashley also said, I think one of the much needed and also much outdated changes is our organization structure. Connectionalism can be a blessing when the system works effectively, but when it's outdated and ineffective and just hierarchical, the system can be um, not just unhelpful, but it can be a burden and it can even undermine all the efforts at the local church level. A car won't start even if, it, if we change the tires, if the problem is in the electric circuit, you know? So mm -hmm. that's why I think our district need to be aligned to a way that can effectively support and empower the fruitful ministry of churches. DSS must be able to work as mission strategist as a, as, as a current book of discipline reads, instead of chasing all the unnecessary details and finishing paperwork. Our system must be able to equip our capable leaders and it has to be a good steward of resources of the church. There, there are places in our connection and even in our conference where we see things are working really well. So it's not necessarily about the problem of the system itself. It's about how we do it. And that's something that we can change, I believe. So that's the pure why I said yes to the process. So you both are young clergy members in our conference. And so when you think about the, our denomination and the church in general, what are some of the realities you see and how perhaps is this district alignment going to address those realities? Kyung Suk, we'll start with you. So honestly speaking, I'm 42 this year, so I, I don't really know if I still deserve to answer the question, but I'm still younger clergy, I believe. So I'm kind of slightly out of the leader definition of young clergy, but I guess I can still speak about it. Um, well, what I think is that our churches are no longer in their golden ages back in like 60s. People won't join the things that fail to offer a meaningful vision. Denominational loyalty is an ancient vocabulary in my standard. And churches without a mission will be left behind, just like the businesses without a vision. So most of the challenges we face are extremely complex, I believe. And that means none of us knows what will be next. We don't know what post-COVID churches will look, look like. We don't know what the UMC will look like after the gender conference. Uncertainty is always painful and the level of anxiety is always high. Um, people have different details in their mind, but one thing is sure, and I think everyone agrees that the church in the future will never be the same. Mm. I think we need a structure that is nimbler to the changes of this context. And I, I think we need to have a connection um, that does not simply require its members to be loyal, but offers why it is important, powerful to be connectional. With all the divisive issues that the church is currently facing, district alignment may not be the one and only answer to that, but it can be a part of our efforts to equip our leaders and free them up for more important work to do. Um, I believe that's why the team is now working on recommendations rather than detailed suggestions or proposals so we can respond to the fast changing situation. Same question, Ashley. Yeah, I resonate so much with what you've just said, Kyunsuk. Um, for me, I, I've been a United Methodist my whole life. And uh, from a young age, I knew I wanted to be a clergy person. And I think what I crave the most from our church in this season is, is an honest and healthy place. Um, growing up, I wanted a place that I could be real 
a place that I could be whole and a place that I could get to know Jesus better. And I think the challenges that our church is facing right now um, are legitimate in many cases, challenges of structure with general conference, challenges of theology and human sexuality. But I also think that there are a lot of things that are pulling our, our attention away from our purpose. I think the church is adrift in many ways and being out to sea isn't always a bad thing. I think there's plenty of stories in the scripture where Jesus did powerful things at sea. And so I'm looking forward to, um, to being honest. I'm looking forward to um, a time where we can explore and experiment, you know, where failure isn't necessarily the thing we have to fear, um, but that we haven't tried be the thing that we have to fear. And I think district alignment, at least in the many ways that we're recommending, offers our local churches and our clergy the opportunity to be in an environment of experimentation and to be supported in that. Um, you know, it's really hard as a young clergy person to come in with exciting ideas and hopes for the church and to be told no time after time. Um, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one that has experienced that um, in the past few years. So we probably the annual conference her, first heard about district alignment at annual conference last year. Uh, there was a short presentation. And then there have been two major announcements this year with resources that were shared. So I'm sure you both have heard from your friends and colleagues and others um, already some misgivings or misconceptions about district alignment. And so what have you heard that you would want to address? Ashley, we'll start with you. Hmm. I think the two main that I've heard is that um, there isn't any transparency. And what I mean by that is our old structure of bringing about something new is electing a few of, of our clergy and lay together, putting them in a back room and having them make a decision and then the conference votes on it. Um, and I think the lack of transparency in our new structure is being witnessed because we are trying to collaborate. We're trying to structure even our work into this new thing, into this new alignment process, which is very collaborative. So a lot of decisions actually aren't made, um, which can be frustrating for some people. I've heard some of my colleagues say, well, why don't you just make a decision already? Um, but I think that the point is, um, district alignment teams are here to think up all of the possibilities and come up with a probable course of action. Um, and I think the mis misunderstanding is that we are the ones charting the path. Um, very little of these decisions actually ever come from, from us. They come from those that are responsible for that work. Um, another misconception is that this is about money. I hear that one a lot. And although there is a financial implication to any changes that we do, um, we've been very intentional about how we, how we start our meetings, how we pray over these possibilities to make sure that we keep in mind those practical things, but that those things like finances um, and timelines aren't the things that are necessarily driving 
um, the potential for those decisions. So um, those are the two that really uh, hit home for me. Are there any others, Kansak, that you can that come to your mind? Um, I think um, hearing almost like the same way. I think one of the one of the most widely mistaken pieces of information is about how the team is working and the way that this team is designed for. Um, from the beginning, I and the members of the team have been told over and over again that the initial DAT and the IDAT, which is the second phase, are not designed to be a decision-making body by any means. So the team has been working more like a think tank rather than a committee. And so our job as a team has been pretty much like to pray, listen, imagine, and recommend. Uh, that means so far, there has been no decision that has been officially determined by the team and there will be none because we are not a decision-making body. It seems like there have been a few strategic decisions made by the accountable leaders of the conference, such as the decreased number of the DSs and the addition of district developers or the budget for the next fiscal year and stuff like that. But for the recommendations that the team is accountable, the way I understand how things will happen is the team recommends, accountable conference leadership decides, and the annual conference vote. So I like to encourage my friends in the conference to read the book of reports thoroughly and tell us what you think. And another piece I think I have to mention is about the trust issue um, as, in the, um, as, as in the transparency conversation. Um, I hear that a lot of voices in the conference are currently related to the questions about the credibility of the conference and the leadership. Um, I know there's a long history behind it. And as a general member of the annual conference, honestly, I even sometimes agree with what is spoken. But here's what I want us to remember. Um, I hope we may not mistake the finger for the moon. I'd mm -hmm. like us to, I'd like to encourage us, especially if you are one of those who agree that change is necessary to our system for its future. I wanna encourage us, all of us, to focus on why and how the process, and speak up what you think will be the right, right way of doing it. And that, that's the way that I believe that, that a healthy change can be made to our system. This is a very similar question, but what about the process that you both have been through with district alignment? Would you wanna share, um, share about how the group has worked together, how you went about um, acting as a think tank? What would you want people to hear about how this process has um, led us to here. Kyung Suk, we can start with you. So um, I think uh, for the earlier answer, I've spoken about some 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 things about the process. So um, I was actually, you know, thinking about some separate a couple of words that have been in my mind even from the beginning of this conversation. I kept these two words in, um, in my conversation every time you have a conversation, which is um, collaboration and contextualization. Uh, first, as I said earlier, I think the world is moving to a direction that people do not unite just for the sake of unity. Mm. They unite when unity can bring about something meaningful. Uh, we are united Methodist church, but why? You know, I wanna see our conference being able to answer the question. 
Um, and I think collaboration can be one of, the, one of those answers. But the, way, the way we see our denomination structure actually works is however, we are way too often compelled to stay inside the church and to focus on what we already have. We are also compelled, some, compelled sometimes to compete with each other as if ministry is a zero sum tournament. Mm. My, my hope is that we can see our connectional system that can help churches to focus on mission together rather than running a race against each other. Of course, there is a no, there's no program or structure that can completely remove those, those human struggles. But if the system cannot help this to any extent and somehow worsens it, again, wh why unite it? It's, it's not a secret anymore that most of the churches in Virginia are now in the category of being a small church. And we have many of them, many of them, literally. Imagine what can be done when they are together. I wish the conference can focus on our purpose to build a healthy structure in which DSs and district offices can actually equip and support the leadership of each congregation so that they can collaborate and faithfully accomplish their best in the context they're called to serve. Collaboration for the sake of mission in the community they serve, that's the first thing that I really wanna see. Um, and um, another thing we know is that Virginia is an extremely diverse state in its social, political, and economic geography. Some say we have two Virginias, common earth of Virginia and the state of Virginia. Some say four, some say eight. But overall, I haven't heard anybody who says Virginia is one in its culture background. Mm. In, in that sense, contextualization is a key to build a fruitful and supportive system for our ministry. When I got my first appointment, one of my mentor pastors told me this you are not being appointed to the church. You are being appointed to the community. So ministry leaders therefore must be trained into the context of the community and the, and the, connectional, and the, and the connectional structure, the way that the conference and the district offices and leaders function has to be able, has to, be able to provide the resources and support um, so that the churches and disciples can freely reach out to their surrounding community in a way that the context can grasp the essence of Jesus' gospel. I think this is a very important part of the goals we have set for the alignment, district alignment process. And that's what I want to hear. And that's, that's what I hope the conference can hear from this conversation too. Do you have anything to add, Ashley? No, that um, actually just one, one more thing. Um, it's hard to follow you, Kinsuk. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that um, has really excited me about the process of district alignment um, so far is that um, it's been a real opportunity to actually be at the table and actually have voice. And baked into the work that we're doing is that for everyone. Um, I don't know if everyone has had this experience, but I've been invited to tables purely because of my age or my gender. Um, and then I was told, this is the way we've always done it, or wait your turn, or um, we just can't do things that, that different. We have to stay in our lane. Um, and I think that this opportunity, this process um, is really aiming to have the best of us and not just have those that um, have always done it, not just have those um, that represent a certain demographic, 
Um, I think that this process, as uncomfortable as it is to not have a decision, yes or no, um, by June, is to say, you know, we are the best resource that we have. We are the ones that were called by God. And those gifts are what we need to make our system the system that will help us all thrive, um, no matter where we're appointed um, and no matter what season of ministry we're in. Um, so that's been exciting for me. And, and I hope that people hear um, how much we need you in this process. So the IDAT has shared that there's gonna be two listening opportunities coming up on May 3rd and May 17th. And so we, there may still be individuals who even leading up to that will have some lingering questions or some misgivings. Um, but we, when we have conflict and when we have the moments of uncomfortableness of change, what is something that you think that everybody can agree, even if they're unsure about this process or unsure about the recommendations, what do you think we can agree on? Ashley, we'll start with you. I, I'd like to hope that we can all agree that we love Jesus. And I'd like to hope that we can all agree that we need change. What about you, Kyung Sak? Um, I would say the same thing. I want to say it again, um, that we, I hope we can agree with the why of this conversation. Um, the purpose to do our system well so that we can be a faithful and fruitful church. Um, that's all I can say, and that's all that I actually have at the moment. I haven't met any Methodist ministers so far, lay or clergy, who said to me that we don't need any change to the way we do the church. We, we know that we need a change. Need for change is a, is a universal term in today's Methodism, I believe. And if the change has to be made, all of us wanna make it well in an effective way. And that's where I think we all can start together. If I can add some more to that, um, I believe most disagreements come out of the question about how or when, and a little bit of who. You know, I think we can, uh, we can find another agreement here, uh, which is there's no one perfect answer to those questions. Um, mm -hmm. Therefore, I'd love to say to the conference, please tell us what you think. Um, you know, the team, they wanna do it well. They were, the purpose is not to kill what is going well, but to grow what is not growing well. Therefore, we'd love to hear from the conference what they think. You know, when, when the information about the DAT was released, some great, good friends of mine called me and shared their thoughts, sometimes in a very emotional way. Um, and they said, sorry, at the end of the conversation, almost always. But I always tell, tell, told them, please don't. Please, please, please do more. Seriously, I believe the conference can see what the team can't see, you know? Of course, I have a good faith in, in each member of the team. They are creative thinkers and innovative leaders. Yet, we also know that we have thousands of us in the Virginia Annual Conference. So, so I, I hope we can agree that the conference will tell us what they know and what, what they think. Let me say that again. Please, please tell us what you think and what you know. Most of, most of us know well already that parking lot conversation may have no power to change. Please tell us what you think. And I'd like to encourage everyone to attend the listening post, which is scheduled for 
is today, right? The the the, the this podcast is streamed today, uh, the day that um the the first listening post is happening, and other gatherings for clergy and laity are scheduled in the future. And tell us how we, the conference, can do this together and become greater. And more importantly, I hope all we all can agree to pray with us and for us. I, I am I'm extremely humbled to be assigned as the spiritual leader of the team. And as a part of the conversation process, we adopted a spiritual discernment model through the prayer. Every team member is committed to pray at every night when an alarm rings at 8.45 every evening. We pray that God may open our hearts and ears of the team members and that we, we the conference, may be in one heart for the sake of God's kingdom mission. This is the quote from my dad. Prayer is the winner because those who pray more can listen more to God. Please listen to what God speaks and help us to listen what you hear, but we don't. I think we all can find an agreement on that. Can we? So my final question to you both is, um, as you've said, this is a collaborative process. Um, you're also still in the process of listening, of listening to the conference and wanting that feedback. And so what the group has put forward is recommendations, but there's a lot that still hasn't been decided. So in what you've recommended going through this process, where do you and the rest of the team see the conference after two to three years following district alignment? Kyung Sak, we'll start with you. Um, it's, a, it's a great question. And first of all, I'd like to make it clear that I, by any means, do not represent the whole members of IDAT. So I can only humbly share what I envision as a result of any possible change that can be made throughout this conversation. Um, I hope to see that every church in our conference passionately serves the community they are called to serve as missionaries in the community, so to speak. Um, just so you know, and as my first name can tell and as my pronunciation can tell, I'm from South Korea. Um, and as a person with that background, I can definitely say with the confidence what we need in the church of today is a spiritually grounded missionary mindset. Like what you all did, the American Methodist Church did 100 years ago for the churches in Korea. When we send a missionary, we do not send anybody. We pray, we discern, we train them, and we support the missionaries. Again, I believe that's the blessing of being a connectional church. I see the conference moving um, I, I, I want to see the conference moving toward that direction. Leaders serve like a missionary. Churches emerge like Jesus incarnate. And the system being centered and able to empower that effort. Diocese thoroughly know the geographical area and its spiritual need. Developers support with adequate resources and contextual training. Clergy collaborate and grow together and churches happily make disciples. To be more candid, honestly speaking, I think two or three years may not be long enough time for that, such a big culture shift. It may not be even enough for us to absorb all other outside changes and challenges. Mm. Um, also, I don't think district alignment can be a sole and absolute solution for that change. Still, still I wanna see that shift at least begins to happen in two or three years as an outcome of this conversation. And my time will be completely rewarded if this process at least can be a start of such a transformation of our connectional identity. 
that that is my humble wish. Ashley, your turn. I think what I personally would like to see in the next two to three years um, as a fruit of this process and this conversation is twofold. Um, I would love to see all of our churches and all of our clergy working together with joy. I'd love to see folks enjoy the fact that we're connected and thrive in that, utilizing the gifts of our neighbors to meet the real and tangible needs of the communities that we've been placed in. I think we readily forget how many churches we have all across this state and that that's a good thing. We are present in pretty much every community. And so our joined together witness of Jesus, that needs to be powerful. That needs to be with joy, not just with obligation. I think the other hope that I have deep down in during and walking through this process and the many hours of conversation and the many different um, roads that we've taken and then decided they just, you know, may not be the roads that need to be talked about any further, you know, all of the different things get thrown up in a think tank is that I hope that this process of aligning ourselves to who we say we are um, and then exploring what that means can be replicated all throughout our churches as well. Um, you know, we are united in many ways as Kyunsuk has talked about, but not all of those ways are, are effective, are helpful to us. Let's be united in the way that we embrace change and in the world, let's figure out what it means to, um, to live what Jesus has asked us to live um, for the people all around us. And I think that not only do I want to see the process replicate, but I want to see health and wholeness. Um, so those are the two hopes that I have for the years to come. And I, I agree, Kyunsuk, I don't think two to three years is going to be enough. But if we can faithfully move that meter closer if we can just continue to turn ourselves to God's will, eventually we will get there. I want to thank you both so much for joining us. So, so that was our featured story about district alignment for our listeners. I hope that you learned more about the why of district alignment and delved deeper into this story. If you want to learn more about district alignment tonight, May 3rd, we have one of the listening posts and another one will be on May 17th. So to register for those events, but also to learn more about district alignment, please visit vaumc.org backslash DAT to learn more information. So thank you both so much. And now for a short break. Are you looking for a place to ask communication or tech questions for your local church? The Conference Board of Communications has created a Facebook group where Virginia conference members can get advice from clergy and lay members around the conference on these topics. Learn more and join the group, either by going to the main conference Facebook page or by going to facebook.com backslash groups backslash V-A-U-M-C resource hub. Here are our headlines for the month from around the conference. Our featured story today talked about district alignment. 
Tonight, May 3rd, there will be the first of two listening sessions about this work with the IDAT, otherwise known as the Implementation District Alignment Team. Another opportunity will be on May 17th. You can join either to learn more about district alignment, to share your feedback, and to ask questions. Check vaumc.org backslash DAT to see if registration is still available for tonight or to register for May 17th. Recordings of both these sessions will be made available by the team after May 17th. The past year has created a relentless pace to ministry. In a joint effort to address clergy self-care, Bishop Lewis, the Virginia Cabinet, and the Conference Center for Clergy Excellence are providing resources to clergy. These resources include clergy taking time away between now and September 2021 and a specific day apart on May 24th this year. Clergy can learn more about this at vaumc.org backslash reignite. On April 21st, Bishop Lewis and the Virginia Cabinet shared a letter encouraging church leaders who supervise lay members who serve as staff at the conference district and local church levels to give them some time off with pay between now and September 2021. This is in recognition of the work and ministry of these lay individuals over the last year amid the pandemic. Find the full letter at the conference website at vaumc.org. And finally, at the end of April, updates were shared at a webinar about in-person worship in the Virginia Conference and what ministry will look like as we move out of the pandemic. You can access the recording of this webinar at vaumc.org or specifically vaumc.org backslash PRG. So at this webinar, it was announced that instead of the two work groups that have been currently meeting to address in-person worship and mission and ministry, there will be one group as of May 1st, a new post-COVID re-entry group, otherwise known as PRG, convened by the Reverend Sung Soo R.J. Yun, who will take over the duties of the existing COVID work groups. This, there is big news for local churches in this shift as well. Healthy Church teams, otherwise known as HCTs, have done extensive work through the pandemic to develop plans for ministry based on the Technical Assistance Manual, otherwise known as TAM, and other resources provided by the work groups. During the month of June, churches will be invited to celebrate the work of their HCTs and bring them to a close while transitioning to local church PRG groups. And so this means that major decision-making on COVID mitigation methods will revert to local churches as of, May, uh, as of July 1st, with district superintendents providing a review of the plans. As well, a new greatly reduced document will succeed the current TAM to guide local churches as they develop their plans. Also announced at this webinar in late April, there was a change to indoor singing guidelines. Studies on the effectiveness of vaccines now indicate that those who have received COVID vaccinations and are two weeks beyond their final dose seem to be at low risk for infection and for transmission. While still waiting to hear how variants of the COVID-19 virus may affect this picture, the guidelines are being adjusted to allow for limited singing indoors under the same conditions as outdoors, with those who are fully vaccinated being the singers for now. Under these new guidelines, fully vaccinated persons may sing indoors for five minutes total. This is about two hymns. If they are wearing well-fitting masks covering both their nose and mouth, and while they are distanced six feet or more, 
singers are encouraged to sing in a quiet voice. And participants should be informed in advance if there will be singing so that they can choose their tolerance level. Churches are advised not to ask for proof of vaccination and to operate with an honor system. So in preparation for this July 1st transition to local churches, the new conference PRG team will be hosting a series of four webinars in May to assist these local teams. You can, again, learn more about this at vaumc.org backslash PRG. And now we head to our one last word. And for this segment, the content will be driven by something similar I used to do in our print publication, The Advocate. Sometimes funny, sometimes irreverent, sometimes taking from the Bible, but always positive. I I would like to leave us in a place of reflection on ourselves and to be open and responsive to the possibilities that are in our everyday lives. So with that, do you love bananas? Do you love art? During the pandemic last year in London, Anna Wynitska absentmindedly picked up a banana and started running her fork along the outside of the peel. Her actions produced dark lines that gradually became darker. She was soon fascinated, turning those lines into doodles. Her new hobby has graduated from those initial lines to more intricate designs, which are created using the same method, just pressure. She has shared her creations on Twitter and Instagram, where she now has thousands of followers. So how is this possible without ink or paint? Her art is realized through the process of oxidation. Bananas oxidize or turn brown as the enzymes in their cells release and interact with oxygen in the air. Damaged cells brown faster. So Anna takes advantage of this process by creating a palette of shades through different amounts of pressure to produce detailed pictures. She has kept this up daily, and after her creation is complete, she takes a photo and eats the banana. Her artwork has included Homer Simpson, the sensational image of Bernie Sanders and Mittens at the 2021 inauguration, as well as other images. She has also turned this unique form of art into a cause for good, holding a banana art workshop with elderly community members individuals who have often been isolated and lonely in the pandemic. As well, she has raised money with the help of her social media following for a charity in the UK that provides food to needy communities, and she is now bringing awareness to a cause close to her heart, a project that is seeking to address energy shortages in Ethiopia. This last year especially has given all of us, I think, moments of reflection and pause about how we live our lives, what is important to us, and the effect we can have in the world. Did this last year help you identify a new hobby, a renewed focus on your passions and causes? How might our own banana art stories be a catalyst for good in our communities and the world? This has been the Audio Advocate for May 3rd. Thanks for listening in. You can access this podcast and other Connectional Ministry podcasts through many platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and the conference website. I want to thank our guests, the Reverend Ashley Eisenhagen and Reverend Kyung Suk Cho for joining us. And I want to thank you as well for joining us for this first episode. Please listen in next month in June for our following episode.